Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Enterprise show. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me once again, as she is every week, from Australia, is Kate Walsh. But, Kate, normally, you know, internet's very advanced these days. Normally, you come in really crystal clear to me, but the distortion is amazing today. Are you coming to me from the future? Yeah, I am. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Chris, but I'm actually coming to you via a reverse echo effect. Ah, that's what's going on. I thought it was just my my headphones were messed up, but okay, makes yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Um, you know, I mean, I, I wish I could have done it a bit more cheaply, but with the <laughs> technology, what it is, you know, it's just so expensive yeah. nowadays. Maybe if, if you could have done it that way, we could have had you on the show more often. Oh, that's right. Such a shame. <laughs> You're here every week, but usually you're you're just normal. You're not coming to us with the reverse echo effect. No, that's right. So, you know, if, if you hear any distortion, you know what it is now. <laughs> so when you say enterprise and you say reverse echo effect and coming to you from the future, of course, the first thing you think of is future guy. Yeah, well, future guy, of course, is... Um... I guess you could say the the main villain that's introduced to us in the pilot. And interestingly enough, um, there was always a lot of speculation over the course of the series as to who Future Guy really was. I don't know that we ever actually found out for certain. Well, we didn't find out on the show, no. But there was some speculation, which we'll talk about as we go on tonight. But to kick off our discussion here of the Temporal Cold War, which is the main topic for tonight's show... There are sort of two sides to it. There was an original concept of a temporal cold war, and then there was the enterprise temporal cold war. And we've heard Brandon talk about the original a bit as well. So why don't you give us that background on what the very original idea was that he had? Sure. So, um, I mean, last time uh, on the show, we talked about the season one Blu-ray special features. And it's in, in those special features that Brannon elaborates on his original concept for the Temporal Cold War, why he needed to introduce that, basically being because the studio wanted a show that was more futuristic than Voyager. Um, and they weren't really sold on the prequel idea. So you know, Rick and Brannon kind of got this idea that if they could bring in a futuristic element, then maybe that would satisfy the studio. And Brandon had been developing this idea on the side for a completely different television show based on this concept of a temporal cold war. And the way that he had conceived it, of course, was that he was going to reveal that in 1997, um, unbeknownst to the majority of the world, uh, time travel had been invented by the United States. 
Um, it was also co-developed by China and um, another Middle Eastern country, and it was essentially an undercover arms race on a, on a temporal level. And at some point in history, someone had gone and gone back off in time and and changed history, and it essentially killed, you know, like twenty million people, and wiped them out of existence. And as a result of this incident, the countries came together and decided that they were going to uh, implement a temporal accord to prevent this kind of technology from being used in that way again. And so, in a sense, this concept allowed the producers to satisfy the studio with something that was going to be even more futuristic, as as we saw in what, the way it was eventually developed for Enterprise, um, but still keeping that prequel idea. And we can certainly see some of those elements in the final concept. Right. And in the final concept, it had to be adapted for Enterprise. So... They had to take. You know, here you talked about the U.S. and China and a Middle Eastern country. I'm guessing it was Qatar. I think it was Qatar Airways that was involved. They were probably <laughs> what happened was it was like the DeLorean and Back to the Future. You got on <laughs> a Qatar right. Airways jet, and if you flew faster than 600 miles per hour, then you entered time warp i think is probably what happened right mm. <laughs> brandon is well, like gonna to listen to the show and shake three. his head and go no chris that's not what my original <laughs> idea was <laughs> i like to think that each of the three countries kind of had a different a different looking time device so yeah maybe you know in america they had the delorean and then in china they had I don't know what what would they have had in China. I know one of the it original was, um, concepts in Back to the Future was a refrigerator. Well, it was a truck, but it was shaped like a panda bear. Oh, that's it. Hang <laughs> on, it wasn't an ice cream truck, was it? Uh, no. Well, it, it might have been underneath, but once you put the panda stuff on, you couldn't really tell. Mm-mm. And of course, <laughs> then we've got our Middle Eastern country, and you know, yeah. who can only imagine what that would have been? I like to think that was the concept, anyway. Maybe that's 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 our canon, right here. All right, but yeah, for adapting it to enterprise, we had to replace the idea of nation states with what are the different factions in the Star Trek universe. Of course, the Federation, the Klingons come into play, and also there were the Sulabine, who were a new race introduced to Enterprise. And then we learned along the way that there were some other people involved. And if you break it down, as it happened in Enterprise, there ended up being two groups of powers, essentially. There are the temporal powers, which are the factions that are actually fighting each other in the Cold War or are able to time travel and Mm. can then participate and then there are the proxy powers, which are the people who are being used as pawns. We've talked on here when we did our Sulaban show, we talked about how Future Guy used the Sulaban as his pawns because Future Guy was coming to us from the 28th century and he was unable to time travel except through that reverse echo projection effect that you tried mm-hmm. to use at the beginning of the show today, Kate. Rather um, unsuccessfully. Right. We had to, you know, you, we had to bring it back, just make you normal because it takes a lot of bandwidth 
to to do that effect and it really does know, on australian to... internet's just not that good <laughs> that's, that's right so anyway future guy was using the sulaban as his proxy and the sphere builders were using the zindi and that's why the zindi attack earth because the sphere builders are defeated by the federation in the 26th century and to make it really confusing, which is what happens when you talk about the Temporal Cold War and the factions, the Federation in the 26th century defeating the Zindi would really have been one of the proxy powers. And it's actually the Federation in the 31st century, which is where Daniels comes from, who is one of the temporal powers that's actually involved. Because at that point in time, they're aware of the Temporal Cold War and they are involved with it along with the Sphero Builders, Future Guy, and the Nakul, who are those weird kind of Riemann-looking aliens that show up in World War II. Okay, now, are you thoroughly confused yet, Kate? I was thoroughly confused about five minutes ago, actually. But, <laughs> um... <laughs> you know, we did an episode of The Orb about time travel and alternate realities last week, and we ended up calling the episode The Two Aspirin Show. I think this might be The Four Aspirin Show. Yeah, quite possibly. After that explanation. <laughs> <laughs> so so that's yeah. what happened anyway, though. The, the concept that Brennan had was adapted to Star Trek by having the Klingons be manipulated, the Federation be manipulated, a time-traveling agent in Daniels, who's part of the Federation, and also the Sphere Builders manipulating the Zindi, which created the arc that we get in the third season. It's kind of the nuts and bolts of it. Mm. Is it just me or are the Nicole kind of random in this whole thing? Yes, very random. <laughs> they, they are as random as the Nazi storyline. After course, yeah. the Zindi weapon explodes and you think it's all over... And they go down to the shuttle to San Francisco and they're being shot at. And then you find out that they're in the middle of World War II, but the Nazis are winning. And then the Nicole guy, it's it's all random, yes. So, I mean, in effect, Nazi Germany are one of these kind of proxy agents. I suppose in a way, yeah. At least for a while, but of course then the timeline changes. And then the Nakul influence over the Nazis didn't happen. And so I you never know what happened or didn't happen when you're talking about the Temporal Cold War because the basic mm. premise of it is that the timeline is being changed to manipulate history. That's of course that's why it's a cold war, but it becomes a hot war temporarily when the Nakul go back to Germany. Yeah, that's right. So let me ask you this uh, to make something that's a little less confusing. This original concept that Brandon had, it sounds cool. I can see it as a show on television. Do you think it would have been successful, though? Well, the one thing I haven't quite got my head around with the concept, I mean, I understand the concept as he said it. On the Blu-ray, he spoke a little bit about how they had this temporal accord in place, but everyone was really paranoid and so there was kind of like spy stuff going on. And I guess it's implied that that people were still breaking that accord. I mean, that you would imagine that's the premise of the show. 
Something um, has to happen every week, right? Yeah, you can't just be spying on each <laughs> other and, oh, you know, everything's all right here. <laughs> you know, so... Um, Nothing to worry I, about. I imagine- Move along. Move along. Yeah, <laughs> nothing to see. <laughs> yeah, so you you imagine that was going on. I I I find it hard. So it obviously would have had to have been quite a serialized format to have um, you know, a large overarching storyline because you couldn't really have an episodic format where each week someone's just you know, going back and changing the timeline and then it all yeah. goes back to normal again and, you know, that wouldn't really work. That You could to do it as an episodic agenda. show if the format were that if you had something like temporal investigations where they were mm. going back in time or into the future to investigate a case, try mm. to set something right. I mean, it's almost like a quantum leap idea in that case or... Yeah. Uh, Department of Temporal Investigations, uh, which Christopher Albinett is doing in the novels right now. Mm-hmm. It could be something like that. But but I do think, especially with the nature of television now, um, mm-hmm. or, or even at the time that he was, he had that on the back burner as an idea, things were moving towards a serialized format. And so I think that it would have ended up being a serialized show, yeah. It's just a shame that you know, the very nature of, you know, a temporal cold war is that it's about people going back into the past. So I wonder mm-hmm. how much of the future we would have seen given that it was based on, you know, these are the nation states and we've got this agreement now. Yeah. Well, I would hope there would have been future elements. Otherwise, it can't really be a temporal thing if you're always going only in one direction. I feel like it has to be jumping all over the timeline as they did in Enterprise where, you know, mm. Daniels takes Archer to the 31st century at one point. And you get to see both ways. That That is one mm. thing that I think that they did well with this in Enterprise is that they did take us all the way back to World War II and they took us all the way into the future to the 31st century. But if, But it was such a side element of Enterprise that it never mm. really took, right? You never really could get your mind around what was really going on because there wasn't enough of it there yeah well i mean even the um i, I think the solaban storylines and, and even more probably more so with the zindi arc there were things going on but the zindi arc was was much more about um uh, you know this weapon about yeah. to be used on earth and although that had come about because of the sphere builders and what was going on with the temporal cold war the focus wasn't really on that as you say, it was kind of a side issue and we didn't ever really get the bigger picture. We were just looking at the issue of the moment. And it was it was the same with the Sulaban, I think. We never really learnt anything about future guys' agenda. Right. Or identity or, you know, it was there was obviously someone manipulating uh, the timeline who couldn't uh, actually travel back in time but who could appear um, and, you know, provide these enhancements to the solar bar. Um, and obviously in the in the pilot, they were trying to incite conflict with the Klingons, but we didn't really know why or, or what it was linked to. Right. And and I'm not sure that, that Brandon and the writing team really knew either. Mm-hmm. I, 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 feel... I think they've actually been quite upfront about that in, in, in the special features that we've seen. 
Yeah. That they 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 weren't ever really clear on where it was going. I it's funny because, you know, Brandon has commented on the fact that it was pretty much dropped at the start of season four when Manny Cotto took over. And I found his the way that he spoke about that quite interesting on the Blu-ray because he actually seemed quite disappointed that the idea had been let go, even though it hadn't really gone anywhere in the previous three seasons. They've spoken as well about uh, Future Guy and who that was. And there have been conflicting reports about how much they had planned as to who that was going to be. Right. So, yeah, it's it's uh, my sense, though, is that, no, they didn't ever really know where it was going. It was probably, right. and, I imagine, a fairly last-minute inclusion. And I, th- and I think that's okay to not know where something is going. I mean, if you look at Deep Space Nine and you look at Cisco's arc, and when you get to the end and if you go back and you watch through again, you can get the impression that it was all planned out somehow where mm-hmm. in reality you know it evolves over time and so it's okay that you don't know where things are going yeah. up front but i think that if enterprise had gone seven seasons and they had continued to incorporate the temporal cold war into the show through seven seasons and then it wrapped sometime in the seventh season there may have been enough material there that you could then follow the thread through from mm. broken bow to wherever it ended and you might be able to pull enough out. And then when you look back at it, you might get the impression that, yes, there was a plan running there all along. But like yeah. you said, it was dropped at the beginning of season four. And what's interesting there is I know there's the impression that Manny Koto came in and decided that, well, of course, he was already involved before season four, but he became the showrunner and decided that this is going to be the TOS prequel that everyone wanted. And we're not going to do any of that stuff anymore. And I think where the Temporal Cold War is concerned, that's somewhat true because Manny Koto has said that he felt that everything had been said about the Temporal Cold War. Everything that there was to say had already been said. And he felt there was too much of a heavy reliance on time travel at the beginning of Enterprise. And he said, I wanted season four to be a relatively time travel free season. And that's why I debated writing it into season four. And that's all great, although I find it strange to say that everything that there is to be said about the Temporal Cold War has been said, because I don't know how mm. you can look at what we got in the first three seasons and say, okay, we covered it all. Well, there's so many questions I would have had still. Things that right, there's explored. so many questions that we still have as viewers. So, But at the same time, not, not just to jump on Manny Koto here, there also appears to be a case where and this is something that John Billingsley has said, that he believes there was a dictate from the studio that the Temporal Cold War needed to be wrapped up immediately. Mm. And they didn't want to have this, which is crazy, right? Because it's in there because the studio wanted it in there originally. Yeah. And then to say that we don't want this element in here anymore, let's wrap it up. And so then you get Stormfront and it's bam, bam, and it's done. And it's just wrapped up. So, although I there had been quite significant changes at the head of the studio over the years, oh, so yeah, definitely, yeah. Well, yes, yeah. yes, and that's why there was a, a difference in opinion, of course. I, I think that to to wrap up the talk of the concept and how it was adapted and whether it would have worked, I think that it's a case where Brandon had an interesting concept that wasn't quite developed 
enough yet to go into television. Mm. Put it in here because the studio wanted it. I think they made it work reasonably well considering what they were working with and how they had to fit Mm. it into Enterprise, but it never really got its legs. And like so much of what happened on Enterprise, it was a victim of this constant like uh, chasing the target, like the target that the studio wanted kept moving yeah. all the time. And unlike the other Star Trek series, Enterprise was constantly chasing this target that was being set by someone other than the people who are actually creating the show. And it was really difficult. And that's where I think we get, we reached the point that we were just talking about where at the beginning of season four, it's bam, bam, and it's wrapped up and it's done. And then we move on. Just going back briefly to what Manny Cotto has said about the Temporal Cold War, the, the main thing I disagree with him on there is that I don't think that there was a heavy reliance on time travel in the previous three seasons. It didn't feel to me like it was about time travel. I mean, right. it, there was no one really going backwards and forwards in time. It, it, it was more that there were agents from the future who were influencing the present. Right. It was like another layer, right? There was enterprise. Mm. And then underneath that, there was this other layer that occasionally maybe bubbled up and bumped into the rest of the story that involved time travel. But I don't think there was any more time travel than any of the other series. Um, You know, even DS9 with with its stationary setting had its time travel moments as well. You know, you've Mm. got things like visionary, you've got Wrongs darker than death or night. And of course, you've got trials and tribulations, which was a fun one. But, you know, there are time travel elements in all the Star Trek series. And I don't think Enterprise relied on that any more than the other shows did. There was just this little subplot that was running through. Yeah. So let's talk about Future Guy a little bit more. Speculation on who he was. Before we get to the speculation that fans have had and even things that the writers have said, and of course we have our bits from Manny Koto's magic bag of hindsight, as we call it <laughs> uh, here on Trek FM, uh, interesting tidbits. When you're watching Enterprise, especially the first time, you yourself trying to speculate, like, who could this guy be? What's going on here? Did did you ever have any interesting speculations? I don't think I actually uh, came up with any conclusions, but I do remember studying the silhouette very closely and trying to work out <laughs> if it looked like the body of any other cast member. <laughs> okay. Did you try to do, did you do a crochet? I know you like to do crochet. Did you do a crochet future guy? <laughs> with fuzzy edges? <laughs> yeah, with fuzzy, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I haven't. Oh, that one's got to go next on my list, I think. <laughs> that would be good. Yeah, same for me. I don't know if I ever really thought like some people speculated like maybe it's Romulan I've heard that Mm. before I don't know if I ever speculated that it was a familiar enemy it was just somebody from the future and then after I started hearing the speculation that maybe it's Archer Mm. then I watch and I try to figure out like well could it be Archer but of course it's not Scott Bakula standing there he's not the person who was used to do it so you're not going to be able to look at it and figure out that it's him what do you think about that concept though the idea that somehow things went very wrong and future guy is Archer from the distant future trying to manipulate the timeline to correct mistakes that he had made 
I actually love that idea. Um, I think it adds a really interesting element to Archer's character. Um, I mean, Mm -hmm. we see him really struggle with ethical issues, particularly in season three and a little bit in season four. But this idea that he is one of these characters actually breaking the temporal cord and it, it, it reminds me of um, the finale of Voyager and then Janeway going back in time to try and correct things for her crew. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's and, uh, it's more interesting than that to me, though, because mm. um, now I'm not a big fan of Endgame. I think it was a it was an all good things redux that never lived up to what they were trying to recreate from the end of the next generation. But but in Janeway's case, yes, yeah, she's she's going back, but she's trying to fix a specific mistake or a very specific series mm-hmm. of mistakes involving her getting the crew home. And the time frame that we're talking about is fairly compressed as well. Yeah. This is more interesting to me because this is the idea that it's really somewhere way down the road. And I mean, I almost feel like it's, I don't know, you think about it, what is the lifespan of a human? It's almost like maybe Archer somehow found himself yeah. down the road, centuries down the road. Maybe he couldn't have just lived that long in linear time, but he found himself there. But it feels like a, a grander scale thing. Like there's so much more that has to be done to try to correct some really terrible thing that went wrong, if that well, were what the plot Some was. of the things that, that Future Guy was doing are actually jeopardizing uh, the founding of the Federation. And right. Uh, yeah, so that's actually really interesting, given that he's such a leading figure in that anyway. Well, in that case, it's more like talking about Voyager again. It's more like Anorex, where he's making mm. what he thinks are minute changes. Like they're very, very specific changes in time, but the impact mm. of those changes can be enormous. But as you say, with with arch or future guy if we were to assume it's archer he's not just making you know changes on, on a small detail or trying to recapture you know in anorex's case it's, it's getting his wife back right um, he's looking to completely change the course of of history on a much broader scale yeah and and that's trying to marry that up with the archer we know like it's um it's challenging but to me that that's a really exciting concept you know what's yeah, happened, it, what's possible, and you know that would have provided an amazing story arc going forward after that third season, or you know if, if they they'd kept going with it. Yeah, and keep in mind that everything that we see happening in the Temporal Cold War wasn't being directed by Future Guy. Future Guy was one player mm. in the bigger picture because you have other factions who are also trying to change things, and they're they're all making changes to try to counteract the actions of the other. What other speculation did you hear in terms of who Future Guy might be? Well, at one point on the uh, Blu-ray, they talk about it maybe being J.J. Abrams. (laughs) Yeah, I heard that one. (laughs) (laughs) That made me laugh. I don't remember hearing anything more substantial than, you know, the Romulans or, or Archer. There was talk about the Romulan thing being a red herring as well. Um, you know, a deliberate red herring. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't. I don't have many thoughts on 
on whether it was a Romulan or not because, you know, I guess, as we've said before, my focus in watching Enterprise wasn't really so much on it being a TOS prequel but a prequel from a broader Yeah, I think the Romulan speculation comes more from people who are seeing Enterprise as a TOS prequel, especially in Mm. the fourth season, when they started dropping those hints of Romulan involvement, which I'm sure would have eventually led us to the Romulan War. Yeah. But we didn't get, you know, it didn't go anywhere because the the series... And it's interesting that you say that because, you know, maybe the Archer speculation and people that were more interested in that were were people who, you know, saw Enterprise like I did, which was a more general right. prequel and, and sitting on in its own right as a standalone. And you're looking internally, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it could be that that's the case as well. As far as J.J. Abrams goes, I mean, what would he have been doing? Would this have been part of his plot to <laughs> get rid of the Prime Universe and all of its merchandise and everything, which he reportedly wanted to do. He wanted to have a like yeah. a clean break and it's just movies moving forward and all that old Star Trek stuff was just gone. If he could like also prevent take... the Federation from ever existing and such, maybe those action figures would have never been made. I also think it, it takes away <laughs> any pressure to, you know, to have yeah, to have to have kept with the Prime Universe and, and adhere to canon and the criticism for not doing that. Yeah. So, so yeah, no, that makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> All right. Well, so and actually, actually, I'll add to that. Maybe he wanted to um, to correct a few mistakes he made when doing Lost as well. Oh gosh, we could do a whole <laughs> other show on Lost, and you talk about a show where you're just making stuff up as you go. I think yeah. that is the the. And that's Maybe a show where it's really example. obvious season to season that it's being made up as they Not go Not even along. season to season, like week to week. Mm. There was the, uh, the, the the whole thing in there about the uh, Japanese actor who uh, went and, you know, took lessons to get his English ready to appear there. I think that was in the final season, wasn't it? And it was a big news story here. And then we watch it and we're like, this guy doesn't need to be Japanese in the story. This guy doesn't even need to be in the story. <laughs> what was the point of this? So maybe he was future guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe future guy is actually the smoke monster and he's manipulating everyone in the Star Trek universe from the island. So you're saying future guy is Jacob. Yeah, well, I mean, the island jumps through time, so it's a perfect place if you mm. want to pull the strings in a temporal cold war, don't you think? Yeah, awesome. <laughs> All right, so let's get back onto the temporal cold war and enterprise here. We talked about who the various factions were earlier, and as we've gone along, we've really talked about a lot of the stuff that they've done. Um. Do you have any additional thoughts on what any of the different players did here? Uh, sphere builders, not cool. Anyone else who was involved? I I probably just want to touch a little on the sphere builders. Um, to me, in, in terms of the temporal cold war and their influence on people within the twenty uh, second century. Um, they're especially interesting to me because they actually played the Zindi off against each other as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it wasn't a united agent for them. 
Um, so, yeah, that, that's where they're a little bit different to Future Guy and the Sulaban. Doesn't it make you wonder why the Sphere Builders didn't choose someone else, like the Andorians or mm. even the Klingons or someone where they would be dealing with a united mm. society? Because the Andorians was- would have been a really good choice because, you know, enemies of the Vulcans, you know, they're kind of... Um, a little bit primal, aggressive, probably easy to Well, they're to always looking for a fight. I mean, Andorians, exactly. they're always looking for a fight. So, yeah, I think they would have been a really good option. Because what ultimately does the Sphere Builders in is the fact that the Zindi are a fragmented society. Because mm. it's difficult to get two people to agree on something. And here you're going to get five groups to agree on a plan, and especially when you've got two groups that are very volatile in the reptilians and the insectoids, and then you've mm-hmm. got very passive ones like the sloths and the aquatics. But I mean, how useless are the aquatics? What could they have done, you know, to influence the Temporal Cold War? Well, their ships are important because it's thanks to their ships that we're able to still be around, right? The aquatic ship transported did a lot of the transportation to help get Archer and, and everyone around. How cool would it have been if the Sphere Builders, um, as kind of another going back in time storyline to go with the Nazi plot, they went back to the 1980s and recruited George and Gracie? That that would have been good, yeah. I could see that. I could see the aquatics. I could see George and Gracie. Mm. That's where you could have worked out a deal with Leonard Nimoy to be on <laughs> Enterprise. He could have gone swimming in his underwear on a Zindi aquatic <laughs> cruiser. Yeah, I I like that. Mm. That could work pretty well. Talk about cetacean ops. Wow, they've got them. Zindi, they have big-time cetacean ops. <laughs> little shout out we could for be our writers, on Chris. Earl Grey <laughs> <laughs> but the sphere builders for me were very interesting as we talked about when we did our show dedicated to them although I, I still feel like they were kind of made up halfway through the season mm. as rather than being part of the grand plan for this indie arc which is disappointing that now the spheres of course were there from the very beginning but the sphere builders themselves as being part of the temporal cold war came up it, it comes off to me as an afterthought when i watch the arc i agree with that but then i think well what was the sphere concept really about early on obviously they would have had to have think well who built these spheres so it's strange to me because they do come across as an afterthought, but yeah. But it could have been a great mystery. You know, the spheres mm. could have been a great mystery. There, there didn't have to be someone behind them in order for the spheres themselves to work in the story because the spheres themselves initially just created the obstacles that the Enterprise crew had to face in trying to navigate that region of space to find the weapon in the first place. Uh, Then when you find out, no, there is actually this group of people who are building them, and this is why they're building them, uh, which is a great concept, and I love it, as I've said before. And um, 
my complaint here isn't that I think it shouldn't be in the story. I just think that it should be a bigger part of the story. I um, perhaps think that if if the Temporal Cold War had gone on beyond season three and the Sphere Builders had continued to be a part of that in some way, then it maybe it wouldn't have come across as such an afterthought. Yeah, I agree. That maybe that the the reason it comes across like that is because they were really weren't in it very much. You know, it built oh, yeah. up to that. Yeah, so, yeah, you know. yeah. I agree. Uh, I, I think a lot of things could have played out longer term if they knew they were going to have seven seasons. But mm. you know, they were almost cancelled after the uh, the third season. We almost didn't get a fourth season, and it took a mm. lot of campaigning to get that fourth season and they knew they weren't going to come back after that so they knew well we've got to wrap this up because we're going to do this other thing and then we're going to be done so mm. yeah that's how it happens all right so one more thing to talk about tonight before we wrap up and that's just the idea of temporal plot devices in star trek in general this is something you and i had said we were interested in discussing a little bit moving beyond just the temporal cold war itself the idea of the temporal prime directive the temporal accord which of course is part of this temporal cold war plot or the temporal integrity commission or as we see on ds9 the department of temporal investigations which we also see in the novels now so we've got all these different groups that are involved in time travel and and policing the timeline and and they have to do it because the writers like to use the timeline and mm. jumping back and forth on it as a plot device. And obviously the Temporal Prime Directive comes up a few times, you know, in the various series. Uh, we see quite a lot of it in Voyager. Um, you know, Janeway isn't a fan of um, temporal paradoxes at all, and so we yeah. see quite a bit of that. Probably not quite as much time travel going on in Deep Space Nine, I'd say, as Voyager. Um, not as much and when it does happen on deep space nine they have the orb of time so there's there's mm -hmm. actually a a plot device there besides the uh the various other plot devices that are used what how do you feel about jumping back and forth in the timeline though in general in star trek i actually really enjoy it i mean i i'm a major fan of time travel stories I, i probably prefer them in the context of an episodic format though such as on voyager than, than what i do yeah i mean i look at enterprise and the temporal cold war and it can become really convoluted um, yeah that's very true so yeah so I, I'm, I'm more a fan of the standalone stories so like uh future's end which was a two-parter um mm-hmm. even um in voyager there's the episode relativity um yeah it's a good episode and that's, yeah. It's a great episode. It's it's still fairly complicated um, structurally, but um, you know, it, standing alone, it's 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 really quite interesting. And um, both of those stories, of course, have uh, Braxton, who was yeah. with the Temporal Integrity Commission in the twenty ninth yeah. century, and he had a cool ship too. He did. <laughs> <laughs> we got to see what he yeah. looked like as a hobo. That's right. Yeah, I enjoy them as well. And, you know, with the exception of Endgame, Voyager did quite well with time travel stories. They're a lot of fun stories because, mm-hmm. like you, they're fun episodic stories, as you said. They're mm-hmm. they're fun uh, little 
trips to take, you know, for an hour and then you come back and it can get very, very convoluted if you try to do it as a serialized thing, which bringing us full circle to the beginning of our discussion and would Brandon's original concept have worked Mm. as a standalone television show? And we agreed that it would probably be a serialized show. And I, I for that reason, I actually believe that it would have worked better as a standalone show than what it could have on Star Trek, even if it had realized its full potential. Because yeah, I agree with you on um, that. Even though Deep, Deep Space Nine is highly serialized, uh, it's you know when I think of the Temporal Cold War, it's linear as, though. Yes, yes. Uh, the Temporal Cold War to me, if it had been a much bigger focus in Enterprise, it would have felt like Lost. Yeah, you know? I think you're right. And you, you yeah. would actually get lost in it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and to me, so, that's that's not really the format of Star Trek. Right. Yeah. So I think they did. It's it's probably a good thing that they didn't explore it more in Enterprise mm. than they did. Um, I don't mind it being there. It get, there are some interesting stories that are related to the Temporal Cold War. Um, and as for a standalone show, I feel like it would be the kind of thing that would look interesting on paper. You'd put the first few episodes on TV and the show would probably be canceled about six episodes in because mm. the audience wouldn't quite take to it. And that's just... That's what happens more often than not with science fiction television shows on network television. And I feel like that concept probably would have followed the same path. And it doesn't mean that it's not an interesting concept. It just, that's kind of what I think would have happened. And well, well, after, after lost, um, which I think was a little bit later than the start of enterprise, uh, there was a quite a a bit bit of fatigue about, um, you know, these really complicated shows. And I remember another show coming out called The Event, and here we only got about two or three episodes on TV, and then they took it off because it just wasn't That's waiting. That's what I'm talking about. You know, they also did Flash Forward, the Robert J. Sawyer book. They turned into a television show, and that didn't go anywhere either. So The thing with Flash Forward, though, because Brennan was involved with David S. Goyer in writing the pilot of that one, and... Yeah. They were very clear when they were doing um, media work that it wasn't going to be like Lost, that there were going to be um, very distinct seasons with answers at the end. But once again, because of that backlash, I think the Temporal Cold War would have been much more complicated than that, would have needed, you know, multi-season story arcs. And, yeah, Yeah. I I just don't think it would have gone down so well (laughs) in that climate. Yeah, I, I agree. All right. Well, it's it's been interesting talking about this topic. Now, we've talked about the Sphere Builders, and we've talked about the Sulabine, and now we've talked about the Temporal Cold War. So uh, so we promise we're going to lay off the Temporal Cold War a little bit, which I know we've talked <laughs> quite a bit about it recently because it's, you know, it's come up on the extras, and we talked about the different factions involved. It's an interesting element of Enterprise, even if it, it didn't really um, necessarily live up to its potential. But um, it's it's been an interesting discussion anyway. But it's not the only thing we've been talking about on the network this week. So here are some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.fm, The Orb. Time travel and alternate realities. 
and then you have everybody else on the Defiant that we, you know, obviously don't know very well, but they all have somebody that's going to be affected. And then you think, too, oh, goodness, the whole entire Dominion War would have been affected if they hadn't gone back. Earl Grey. Episodes we love to defend. In the observation lounge, and he accidentally calls him number one, and then they look at each other like, is he going to figure it out? I'm thinking, what do the Frigging know? They don't know anything. <laughs> They're not like, wait, wait, let me look that up. Wait, that means something that Captain Picard calls his first. No, they don't know that. The ready room. Relics. In the day, I, I asked Ron about it, and he said, we just screwed up. I screwed up. Producer screwed up. Mike and Rick. And and uh, it wouldn't be Andre then. It would have been uh, it would have been Rain as the science advisor. It's like nobody caught it. To the journey. Five episode marathon. Yeah, with Aisha Tyler and Jerry Ryan, she talked about how when she signed up and actually signed the contract to become Seven of Nine, she'd never seen the show before, but she watched an episode of Star Trek Voyager as she went home that night and was aired. But apparently, it was like the worst episode ever she literally cried that night because she's like what on earth did i do commentary trek stars ronald d more recap so you're saying that you wish star trek was bsg no what just I'm... say for the record that you wish star trek had never existed <laughs> and that battlestar galactica was was uh, the, the thing instead warp five enterprise season one blu-rays Towards the end of that particular documentary, Brandon expresses that he had been also feeling quite dejected and burnt out at the end of the first season, which makes me wonder, yeah, you know, did he did he really have the energy? Did, did Was it kind of only just hanging in there? Trek news and views. Halloween tracks. Played the, um, the, the murdering crazy person who has psychic visions and uh, can communicate with the ghosts. It was kind of a similar character to the one on Voyager, right? No. No? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Literary treks. Demons of Erin Darkness. Well, what's what's interesting about it is, is that, you know, Kira, her gods haven't cast her out. You know, her people have. And it's yeah. a lot the same way of, you know, Luther and his 95 Theses and being kicked out of the Catholic Church and all of that happening. Because what Kira has brought to her people is, is kind of a reformation and introducing our TOS show, Standard Orbit. James Tiberius Kirk. No, Star, Star Trek Four. I mean, aside from the bookend stuff, I don't really know how much Kirk grows there. It's, it's kind of a standalone story in a lot of he, ways. He learns about whales and how it's bad to hunt any animal to extinction. <laughs> Which I guess is an, an important lesson to uh, learn. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and get your daily Trek Talk fix. We have new Trek Talk for you every day of the week. And some days we even have two shows for you. And you'll find them in a lot of places, including iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zoom. You can download or stream from the website. Many, many ways for you to find our shows. And you can get links to everything by going to trek.film slash pd for podcast directory. Kate, I believe since we had to take a week off last week as I was under the weather, since that time, we have gotten a review in iTunes, haven't we? That's right. We've got another five-star review in the US iTunes store uh, by a listener with uh, the name J.S. Cardina. And this particular listener um, has given us some great feedback, particularly in relation to 
the type of discussions that we have here on the show, the fact that we're not doing episode reviews, so we are bringing something different. I thought we were quite professional and have a, yeah, a great format. So it's really great to get that feedback. Also, uh, they're particularly fond of the fact that we have interviewed uh, quite a few production crew on the show. Very good. So they, they think we're professional. It's a good thing they didn't see the reverse echo incident then. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. They think we're professional. They think. Yeah. And we've got cute they, they, accents they don't see too. what really goes on, you know, <laughs> with, the, with that uh, staticky image and stuff that we're, we're trying to deal with here. That's a good thing that, that they didn't see that. So, but no, th- thank you, J.S. Cardina, for the review. Really appreciate it. I'm glad you're enjoying this show. And I'm glad you like the format because when we started our series shows, we didn't want to just do episode reviews again because there are plenty of podcasts out there where people just go through and go episode by episode and talk about them. And that's great. I mean, that's, you know, that's something that's really fun to do as you're watching a series. And we didn't want to duplicate that. We just wanted to talk about the big picture of all the different series. And so that's what we've done with our five series focused shows here on Trek of Film. So I'm glad you're enjoying that. For everyone else, if you enjoy the show, please drop by iTunes and leave us a star rating and a written review. We'd love to hear from you, and it does help other Star Trek fans find the show as they search in iTunes. And if you leave us a review in a store outside of the United States or Australia, because Kate, you keep an eye on Australia for us, I know, uh, Mm -hmm. shoot us a message and let us know that you did it, because iTunes doesn't give us any kind of notification, and they don't let us look at multiple countries at the same time, so we have to actually go to each individual country store and check the listings to see if there's a review. So we appreciate if you give us a heads up on that, and we really appreciate you leaving us a rating and review. If you'd like to share other thoughts on the show or on the Temporal Cold War, you can do that by going to trek.film slash contact. There's a form there. Just choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5, and that will come to Kate and me by email. You can also send us a voicemail from the website. There's a feature on there that lets you use your webcam's microphone to record a message and upload it to us. And we also have forums at trek.fm slash forums, where you'll find a section for Enterprise, one for this show as well, this episode of the show. And you can talk to us and other listeners there as well. Now, Kate, what if people want to get a hold of you? What's the best way to do that? Well, I'm on Twitter most days under the handle Kate is great okay and that's a statement okay. not a question Chris yeah <laughs> i always ask so, you that. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you're a twitter user or you would like to have a chat with me about warp 5 or enterprise or any other aspect of star trek follow me on twitter and uh, just uh, give me a shout out and uh, tell tell me that you're an enterprise fan and i'll follow you back Sounds good. And if you want to find me, I'm also on Twitter. And my username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can find me pretty much everywhere on social media under that same username and on my personal website at cbrianjones.com. And elsewhere on the network, besides the show, you'll find me with Matthew Rushing on Literary Treks, where we talk about Star Trek books and comics and we interview authors. We just had Una McCormick on this week as we're interviewing all the authors involved in the fall series. And also, Matthew and I do The Orb together, where we talk exclusively about Deep Space Nine, very much the way we talk about Enterprise here on Warp 5. And you'll also find me on The Ready Room, where I'm joined by hosts from all around the network and other special guests as we talk about all five live-action Star Trek series and Star Trek news. And one of these days, we're going to talk about the animated series as well. I always say live-action. 
when I talk about <laughs> stories. <laughs> so uh, you can find me in all those places as well. Also on social media, if you want to just find everybody, you want to find the network, you can uh, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekafilm and on Twitter under username trekafilm. And a number of us tweet from the trekafilm account. So you can always send messages there as well. I'd like to invite you to check out Andrew Allen's album, Smooth Federation. If you like the cover of uh, Where My Heart Will Take Me, then you'll find that plus nine other jazz renditions of music from across Star Trek. You can pick up the album in iTunes or on Amazon. And Chris, I hear that it's actually the Cindy Aquatic's favourite album. (laughs) Well, it it sounds even better underwater, so I'm not surprised. Mm. Keeps them nice and relaxed for, you know, dealing with those sphere builders. Well, you need it. I mean, geez, they'll drive you crazy. <laughs> you, you saw, you know, in, in the in the conference room there when they had the Zindi staff meeting, you saw what happened. Uh. So. <laughs> All right. So uh, one more thing before we let everyone go. If you'd like to support Trek Film and help us bring Warp 5 to you every week, we do have a lot of costs involved in producing these shows and getting them out to everyone we have some original artwork for you we have original alien illustrations by tobu ushi who does most of the artwork that you see on our website we have them available as badges and as art prints and you can mix and match choose which ones you want in which format and we have different contribution levels that you can make as well and you'll find all that on our website at trek.fm donate and your support helps us cover the costs of production, storage, and bandwidth that's needed to get Warp 5 and all of our other shows out to you every week. So we really appreciate your support and hope you like those aliens. So Chris and I would like to thank you all for listening. Join us again next week here in the Decon Chamber for another episode of Warp 5. <laughs> <laughs>